Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, David Reed, Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us, Lance Lee with a well-deserved day off, Sarah Triplett, our great production assistant. Paul, welcome back inside Studio G. Good to be back, gentlemen. Good to be back. And I come back with an urgent question. Okay. Why in 2021, in the biggest track meet in the world, do people still put on their names and their numbers with safety pins? Have we not advanced beyond safety pins? In the era of spider tack, have they not found a way, an adhesive, that would put a number on a track runner that's better than safety pins? We're keeping safety pins in business in the Olympics. I, I don't get it. I was watching the track last night and this was really distressing. So do they not know the number they're going to have up until the moment it's time to run? Yeah, can't you do it in advance and, and have it on? Can't you shirt? know in your uniform and just have it on, laser printed on your uniform, your number? Can you not get it a week out, Why can't a day we get out, that? Why can't and we have get that printed that? on their uniform? Or do you have to, is it something where you show up and it's a big mystery and a surprise and they have to put the number on you right before you race because you can't know it in advance. Even so, somebody that's a track person said they've tried stuff at races and it doesn't work, but I think this is a problem that can be solved. Isn't this the only thing that in sports that uses a safety pin? Like everything what, else would what just else be a sticker a or a pin uh, Gymnastics, right? Don't they have the same process? Maybe. I think there's I a lot know. of safety pin usage in gymnastics. By the way, Paul, great question, and it's one that raises a lot with me internally, like Hutton's uh, primary complaint yesterday about not having the resealable package in cereal. Why can't we they have want it instead, to go of, stale. instead of... They want yes. cereal to go stale. So you know, this, I, this I, also I, raises a lot I, of questions. I, I saw this, Hutton, and it was great. And um, Eggo waffles have been a thing in my house my whole life. And mm. now Simon is into Eggo waffles. And just now, Eggo waffles have a little resealable tab that's oh, really? actually quite good. See, all they but for, for my entire life, I'm 52 years old, the Eggo uh, bag, very cheap and, and made to be bad. They want in a, in a they want box it to go stale, doesn't reseal. But all they have to do is put a, you know, a, a date on their packaging, which they do too. And that will make people go buy new product well, because it expires. Well, if you eat your cereal at a reasonable pace, it's gone before it's stale. <laughs> but also, now you go to the other side of this, some of these bags that do have a nice closure thing are also impossible to deal with because when you rip it to open, yeah. the thing, it, it's impossible to get between yeah, there it doesn't and open actually well, yeah. pull it apart. It's not easy. Let's find a middle ground on a resealable bag that lets America get its food and keep it fresh at the same time. Another issue I have with this lunch meat. Can we get a universal system for the best way to seal up lunch meat? 
I feel like every time I it, we're always getting something different, and it's so different. The the variance between containers for lunch meat and how easy or difficult it is to open up the plastic around the lunch meat and get it and then put it back together is too much. You know what I don't like? Uh, they do this. I don't know if they do it with some meat. They do it with cheese. If you get like deli cheese, where there's like a slice and then plastic, and then it's like folded over, and then a slice, and then it's like folded over, and it like folds four different ways. So yeah. every time you take a slice of cheese, you have no idea which way the wrapper's coming next. It's like undoing an origami. But at least with the with sandwich meat, you have an option to buy a package that's resealable. You don't have that option in the cereal market. That's true. That but sucks. No, this cereal is one where, uh, you know, we don't want to have monopolies in this country. We may get to a story about a possible monopoly with ESPN and college football coming up. Uh, we don't want to have monopolies, but I'm okay with a monopoly on the best way to seal things. Like If you are the resealable package company <laughs> and you're the best, I want everyone to use you. I want to know exactly what I'm getting. I want all of these different companies to package the same way because this is the best way to do it. Well, I think I'm Cheerios, all for uniformity when it comes to this. Cheerios or Frosted Flakes should be the company, the be the cereal that comes up with the resealable thing and pull away from the market because look, advertise their great resealability and pull away from the market based on this. If you're torn between Cheerios and Frosted Flakes, look, this one's greatly resealable. But you know what we do in my house sometimes, and I'm not a big cereal guy anymore because I'm not a big milk guy, simply take the cereal and dump it into a good container and then you operate out of the good container. An episode of Seinfeld broke out to start. Uh, it was good. Our show today. So George and Jerry would have had a field. And see. All right. Now we start the real show. Uh, USA and France for gold. Yes. Give it up for uh, Team What's USA. No one turns it on better than Team USA in basketball when it's time. Uh, when the lights come on and the games are meaningful, uh, they have a way of just turning it on and shutting everyone up. And they did that against Spain after falling behind. They did that against Australia after falling behind. Um, the good news for Team USA is that what happened in Vegas, in fact, stayed in Vegas uh, with whatever was going on. It happened in the end of one game against France, and they lost the opener, uh, but they've been a different team since that point, and now they get France in a rematch. Actually, it watched the, uh, it was on at 6 a.m. this morning, but I got to see the, the last probably quarter and a half of France and Slovenia today, and France blocked a shot at the buzzer to win that game. Slovenia had the ball down one, and had a driving layup, and France, a remarkable was defensive it play. No, uh, I, because I was thinking, Go why ahead. is Luka Doncic not taking this shot? Yeah. The reason was they were throwing three guys at Doncic the whole game, and uh, it was a guard driving, and it was a great defensive play to block the shot. So U.S. gets a rematch with France, who they lost to in their first game uh, in pool play. Uh, I'm excited. The game's at 9.30 Central Time. 12 and a half sound right? 10.30 Eastern. I have yeah, no that, idea. That's what it is right now. Sounds like a lot. It. No, it sounds like a lot. I'm I would saying. take France to cover that. I but I would also, I picked uh, Spain to cover. They did not. I would have picked Australia to cover. They weren't close in getting blown out by Team USA. So it's trending towards another USA blowout. But I, I, don't, I don't think so with these two teams. Well, this would be great if they just go out and get it done after all the consternation yeah. about this team, which they were worthy of, quite frankly. They apparently woke up out of it. Um, you know, Durant had the expectations that maybe Pop Popovich didn't have, which was good to hear. Um, go out, win it, and you've shut everybody up. You woke up and, and you went and did what you were supposed to do. Lose it, 
which is entirely possible, let's keep in mind sure here, it is. to a team that you've lost to already in this tournament. And uh, all the questions will resurface and be absolutely legitimate, and you'll come home wearing silver. Well, either way, I don't want Greg Popovich coaching this team again. Uh, I'm, I'm done with He's it. old even, enough to even be Even if done. they win gold, I, I just it's not the right mix. No, go younger. And not, only, not just younger. Here's what I would do. We don't have the college athlete anymore with the U.S. men's basketball team. We shouldn't because the rest mm-hmm. of the world is playing professionals. Go back to the college coach. It's a good idea. Go younger than Krzyzewski, though. Jay Wright uh, yeah, somebody is on, like that. Is on perfect, the bench. I mean, perfect. Jay Wright's not the youngest guy, but go Jay perfect. Wright. I mean, there are plenty of college coaches that I think would be great, and it's just a, a different mix. You know, Coach K said that 2008 Redeem team, I think that was the first one Coach K took over. Kobe Bryant was the leader of that team. All of those young guys on that team looked up to Kobe Bryant. Even his peers, his age, looked up to Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant wanted Coach K as the coach of that team because he would have gone to Duke to play for Coach K if he didn't go straight to the NBA. He respected him. Kobe Bryant's buy-in to Coach K, and, and Coach K talked about this, even with Kobe Bryant's passing. That's what led to him having the respect of everyone. Because if Kobe Bryant didn't care about Coach K and didn't respond to him, the other players wouldn't have either. I want to see that mix again. I want to see some NBA players playing for college coaches that are accustomed to actually having power over their team. Because these NBA coaches aren't accustomed to that anymore because star players hold all the chips. I want to see coaches with some power leading Team USA. That's why, and I'm, I'm happy to have NBA coaches on the bench like Coach K did, but let's get another college coach and give them a shot. I like it. He's an outsider, so the power structure is different. And if he can gain the respect of, like you're saying, the, the leader, he's kind of a middleman in terms mm-hmm. of he's got the gravitas with the championships and, and that, but he can also kind of uh, pull the guys towards the meaningfulness of the moment and the international game being different because he's not from the NBA per se. So he can sell them on the nationalism and the, the, the meaningfulness and, uh, and the context of the nation versus nation uh, and take them out of the thing where they run the show, per se. Let me give you a three-coach hit list that I would yeah. go down the list. Jay, Jay Wright excellent. is number one, already on staff. He should lead Team USA. If not, Tony Bennett at Virginia. Would be great. Would have respect. He's got the right personality. He could blend in with powerful egos with the NBA players. Three, Juwan Howard. Juwan Howard may be the best young coach, new coach in college basketball. He is already creating a powerhouse at Michigan, and he's a longtime NBA player. You think Juwan Howard would know how to appeal? To the NBA player on that roster and to the ego on that roster. But he also brings in the college coaching element. I like him, but I'd certainly put him third until he wins a championship. I I think having one at that level gives you a certain level of gravitas. Uh, So yesterday we heard some news and rumblings of Deshaun Watson and the Philadelphia Eagles that a a trade was – they've been talking for a while. But where there's smoke, there's fire, and it seems like the smoke was billowing with this report on top of the fact – that suspiciously, he's missed practice the last couple of days after reporting. So the question is why. They've, uh, the Texans have been very coy about it. So it's easy to connect the dots and think, oh, they're about to trade Deshaun Watson. I don't figure, I, I can't figure out how. 
I don't know why the Eagles, what, what the investment would be and why the certainty of that it's worth going all in like, you know, August 5th as I, opposed to earlier in this offseason. I think it's got to be the most conditional trade ever if you make it right now. Has to be. Right? Yeah. I mean, with picks that can slide up and back a long way. We're talking Carson Wentz. And they have going to the go picks. from a first to a second. I think you're talking about a pick that could range from a first to a third. You know, first to a fourth. If he's going to get suspended and miss the season – it's got to be a lot less valuable than if he's going to play opening day and potentially lead you to a, a Super Bowl or mm -hmm. be statistically one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I, I think you're talking huge sliding scale here if you do it. The guy who came out with the report that things are, I don't remember the terminology, maybe you have it in front of you, heating up, um, isn't somebody I've heard of before. And then Aaron Wilson, who covers the, the Texans very well, kind of tamped that down this morning, so I don't know. David Culley looks terrible, and I don't know who wrote this, but I entirely agree. Easterby or Casario or McNair, in that order, reverse order, McNair or Casario needs to have a press conference and discuss this because they're clearly controlling what's going on with Deshaun Watson. Culley's out of the loop. And Cully's the guy answering questions every day. He looks like an idiot. Yeah, he's not. Out and he's of the, already doesn't look good. I don't think he's, he's out like, of the loop. I just I think he's told that you're just gonna have to deal with it until we move him. I think he looks like a, they're they're putting a, a new yeah. head coach who's in a, already in a terrible situation. I agree. Even if Watson is set aside, in a position to look like a stuttering fool, uh, yeah. because he's saying I, I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll update you tomorrow. Uh, not even talking about the injury. They need to make an organizational statement and try to put this thing to bed, and they're not approaching that at all. Just looking at the possible trade, uh, is Jalen Hurts a part of this? I don't think so. I, I think that they want to have two quarterbacks, uh, and and consider Jay, they drafted Jalen Hurts. Not really. I don't think with the vision of him being a starter, certainly not now, and this would just be a good upgrade that would leave them with a good backup, and and a perfect plan here, Chad. If if Watson disappears all of a sudden, this thing's turned criminal, that they could go back to the plan they're on right now. So Joe Flacco, Nick Mullins, not the option you want to go with until uh, Deshaun Watson's ready? I mean, at least with Flacco, he's done it, yeah. right? Joe I mean, Flacco's he's not, a pretty good veteran backup who hasn't yet been He's not elite Joe Flacco way. anymore, but no. uh, he's something that's got experience. Still crazy to think that what Watson, a description of Joe Flacco Watson could be something. traded and play. He can, he can start week one right now for the Philadelphia Eagles if they trade for him. And look, I'm on the NFL for this and I'm on the Texans for this, but really it's out of their hands. I mean, it's in the system mm -hmm. and the timing is bad and things the, these things can turn into, I mean, there's pending criminal stuff that so hasn't taken off. So if a grand jury meets tomorrow and comes out with a criminal charge, everything changes. And that's not on the NFL not doing its investigation, and that's not on the Texans. Here's where the NFL makes the mistake. It thinks it's above all these court things. Oh, we can go investigate. Well, nobody's giving them the stuff that the grand jury's ultimately going to have. And nobody should give them the stuff that the grand jury is ultimately going to have. This is where the NFL thinks that it's the feds or, or, or you know, Houston County prosecutors or whatever. And it's not. And so all of the they authorities are saying to the Texans and the NFL, screw you. We're going about our business. And your football player playing or not playing is not our concern. Well, they're, they're saying we're going at our pace because it's a process. The next, the, yeah, it's the process. The next scheduled Part of this is the off season. Watson's not going to to plea 
You know, he's not going to settle out of court in civil so court. So do we know that? Like a, a grand jury thing wouldn't happen until the offseason? Yeah, that's been reported months ago. That's not happening until the offseason. So he's and in the Watson's clear for this not season. going to settle. So this, yeah. I he's mean, in the so, clear for this season. So well, trade for him, play him this season, and take your chances beyond that. But that puts a certain trade value on it. Right. And Houston has to come to terms with that. We are live from Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee, Blackbird Studio and the Blackbird Academy state-of-the-art facility. Over 14,000 square feet of rehearsal space. They have the best equipment. They have a rental property here as well where you can come in and rent what you see on the screen right now. Uh, better yet, they have an academy. You can go to school for this. Studio, audio engineering. You can work in the studio. You can work on the road. They'll teach you how to do everything. TheBlackbirdAcademy.com. Top instructors. Best gear. Hands-on experience. TheBlackbirdAcademy.com. And... We tie it all together next with John McBride of Blackbird, who sits down with us in his studio. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network and live from Blackbird Studios and the Blackbird Academy inside Studio G. The man who makes it all happen, is here with us as well, John McBride, uh, who has been a godsend to us. He is one of the best dudes on the planet, and uh, our relationship started whenever Martina McBride made us cookies, and we did a live show uh, just across the hall, and those best cookies on earth uh, hit off a great relationship, and John said, hey, while you're building a new studio with OutKick and OutKick 360, why don't you do your show here? And I, I said, uh, we'd love that. Are you, are you serious? You'd let us do it? And here we are six months later uh, and our final week sitting here in Studio G because we're about to make some announcements and move to a studio next week. Um, John, thank you. That, I want to start by saying thank you. Well, I'll say thank you because the longer you live, the more you want to be around people you enjoy being around. And when I run into great people, except for Chad, yeah. <laughs> you know I'm kidding. I'll, I'll uh, go in the other room for the rest of this <laughs> just, just to make everybody comfortable. No, when you, when you get around great people, you want them in your life. And I thought, what a wonderful just energy that you guys bring to this place. And you do. We and I love that. Can, can I do yeah. something quickly? I want to remove the enemies list from behind John. Yeah. Simply yeah, sure. because uh, John is on the eternal <laughs> friends <laughs> list at this point. Yes. And we don't have a friends list yet, so <laughs> just for the sake of the shot behind them, our Good enemies call. list of Outkick, I want to move out of the way. I'll hand that to Sarah. And here, take Cactus Jack also. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Throw thank him you, away. Sarah. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, Good hands. You opened Blackbird in 2002, right? Yes. yes. What was here before Blackbird? Like, why, why get into the business you were in for the studio aspect of things? Because this is the, not just a preeminent studio in Nashville. This is a preeminent studio, period. It what is. you've built. It is. And I'm, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'm such an emotional cripple. I had to build a place. I'm a competitive guy. Yeah. And I did not want, I got tired of LA and New York kind of treating Nashville like a redheaded stepchild. You know, that gets on my nerves because we have an incre incredible talent here. So many people from LA and New York are moving here, by the way, and have been for the Well, last they're not flying here to record here. Well, yeah, that happens too, sure. We get bands from all over the world and different parts of the country. We did a South Korean punk band for three months. You know, I'm going, how did you even hear of this? They didn't, you know, they have one interpreter, thank God. 
<laughs> but anyway, you know, it, it's funny. We, we've done probably 10 or 15 Swedish bands. Yeah. From Ghost, who's crazy, to... Um, Jacob Swanson, by the way, very excited to hear about the Swedish death metal yeah. uh, that's been recorded here because oh, that's yeah. one of his favorite genres. Yeah. So he's excited to hear about Ghost. Well, let me tell you, Ghost could be us four because they wear these things on stage where you can't see them, you know, what they really look like. Well, and, and it could have been us four. It really could. <laughs> my yeah. third career. You know? what, what made you fall in love with audio? Because it's, it's audio specific for you. The Beatles, I think, was what was the initial trigger. I end up naming the studio after a Beatles song. I just that music hit me in the DNA is how I describe it, and I um, I uh, fell in love with the Beatles. That's me FaceTiming you. Oh, it's Paul McCartney. Yeah, it's well, I'll call him back. <laughs> and uh, I fell in love with that music, and I grew up in Kansas, so you know it was not the cultural center of the universe. But this music just changed my life, and I had to have it, and I fell in love with it. And I mean, I'd get jobs mowing lawns so that I could go buy more records, you know, or shoveling snow or whatever you had to do, because yeah. I love records. So and I love listening. Incredible list of people that you have on the website who have recorded here. Yes. I don't think uh, any of the Beatles are on there, but Keith Richards yeah. is on You're there. Right. Yeah. So uh, we've got this thing where we've sat with you for hours at a time and just throwing names at you you have Keith Richards stories from his time here well, you know because everybody thinks Keith Richards crazy that's where uh, you give him the space formaldehyde you know? in his veins <laughs> <laughs> right he is a great guy you know I've, I've only met him a couple of times but wonderful guy makes you feel right at home you know he's cool too cool for school always you know I mean he just is but he's a stone, you know. Did I he mean, do one of his solo records here? You know what? I don't even know. I was on the road when he came here. And um, I'm not even sure what project. He's involved in so many different things, you never know. Because there's always the stones. But Keith records his own records. Mick records his own records also. How did you meet Garth Brooks initially? Because you were the production uh, manager for Garth. Yes. 1989, there was a guy named Rick Crabtree from Nashville who was the production manager and front of house guy for Ricky Van Shelton. Okay. And they had played at the Kansas State Fair and I happened to be there for some reason. And I met Rick and we hit it off and he knew I had this sound company. And he called me in the fall of 89 and said, listen, I got three shows, um, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Tulsa, and Stillwater, Oklahoma. Ricky's headlining, we're doing these little baseball fields, right? Yeah. He goes, the middle act is a guy named Clint Black, and the opening act is a guy named Garth Brooks. And he go, and I'd heard of Garth and Clint because I'm married to Martina, we listen right. to country radio, you know, and, uh, and so I was familiar with, with who they were. <clears throat> but I said, great, no problem, let's do it. And at that time, Garth had no, he had the band and his manager, Bob Doyle. That's who was on the road and the bus driver. That was it. No crew. So when it came to those three shows, I ended up doing front of house for Garth. One of my guys did monitors. And we hit it off and just really connected. I'm not sure why. And you you're know? best friends now. Oh, well, you I know, mean, we, we you don't hang out every night. But if I, if yeah. I got in trouble, that's my first call. You better believe. And he's involved in the Blackbird Academy. 
Well, uh, with you. Um, we're not supposed to talk about it, but oh, yeah, sorry. he is. <laughs> sorry, Garth. Um, so, Breaking you, news. <laughs> we, we can't talk about the Academy, though. The Academy is awesome. You've got right across the street here yeah. a, a state-of-the-art facility, hands-on experience. Yep. Um, and they get hands-on experience here. At, yes. at the actual Blackbird studio. They get to learn in the rooms where we make hit records every day. Yeah. And is this because you, could, you couldn't find anything quite like this, so you wanted to create your own? What happened was, in 2010, I'll guess, 11, yeah. somewhere in there, I'm up front, Vance Powell and I are hanging out, waiting on somebody to bring something, probably puffy tacos, I'm guessing, but whatever, anyway. <laughs> There's four interns up there. We have a lot of interns because we have a lot of rooms and a lot going on. So what do we like to talk about? Well, audio. So these interns are all graduates of different programs. So we ask, what's your favorite kick drum mic? Now, to a, that's like saying, uh, asking you, which golf tournament do you like best? Or, I mean, this is remedial yeah. audio talk. You should be able to speak that language. Yes. Yeah. We did not get a good answer out of any of them. <laughs> One of them, well, I didn't really get to mic a lot of drums. I go, but you graduated? He goes, yeah. And I said, how could you not mic a lot of drums if you've graduated? You know, I, I just couldn't believe it. So I thought, you know what? I can either whine or I can do something about it. And you know how I, I don't mm -hmm. like whiners and yeah. I don't want to be around whiners. So it took a couple of years, but in 2013, we started the school. And I thought, because on top of not getting a proper education at the time for other people, then you're also in debt anywhere from 50 to 250 grand. Sure. And I'm going, this is ridiculous. You're in debt and you don't know what you're doing. Right. And I thought, <clears throat> we have to do something about that. So I had a mantra that, we were going for the greatest education in the shortest amount of time for the least amount of money possible. I called a couple of uh, people I know, Mark Rubel, Kevin Becca. Kevin worked for Crass, another school, and he wasn't happy at the time, and he also was the technical editor for Mix. And Tom Kinney, who's the editor of Mix, had said, listen, you've got to call Kevin, and I did. That worked out. Mark Rubel was actually on my first call. I'd met Mark. He's uh, a bass player. He's been teaching college for 35, 40 years. I mean, he has a recording studio or did up in, in Illinois. Now he has one here. And I called Mark and said, I want to start a school. Will you, will you join me? And he said, yeah. And so that happened in 2013. And now we have a waiting list. And it's, you know, it's crazy. But the most important part of that whole story is I always tell these students, I go, we're not successful unless you're successful. So you need to go out and bust your butt and find a job and we'll help you in any way we can. And they do, you know, especially we have two programs, studio recording, live. The live people are averaging, we're, I think we're at 93% are full-time employed and making good money. And there's a, that number is even going to go up because there's such demand right now for great crew people. Yeah, you have your students that graduates yes. that are now on the road yes, with yeah. major artists. Well, we're going out with and doing some shows with Blake Shelton. There'll be three of our graduates on yep. that tour, maybe four. I, I'm I'm not 
because there's a couple of acts I'm not sure they may have one of our guys. TheBlackbirdAcademy.com for more info on yeah. that. We'll, we'll yeah. show all the info about that yep. later in the show like we did earlier also. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool thing. I want to get back to something, and I'm going to use your words, John. You said that you are an emotional cripple. Uh, going back to Garth Brooks. Ask my wife. Garth, <laughs> ask all of our wives. Um, Garth Brooks is the opposite. Like Garth Brooks could talk about a cup of coffee and start crying yeah. when you see him interview. But what I've always loved about Garth Brooks is it seems 100% legitimate. The it guy is. doesn't fake anything in life. If you see him perform live, right. there's, there, you can't fake no. that level of energy no, and that cannot, level of no. emotion that the guy has. And I'm sure you've seen that firsthand. Well, that I came home from those three shows to Martina and I said, Oh my God, this guy, Garth Brooks, I go, he's fleeing his hat around, he's climbing up on the lighting truss, I go, <laughs> unbelievable. And I heard one song at that point from him, much too young to fill this damn hole, right? Yeah. But I fell in love with the guy, the energy, it's unbelievable, it really is. That reminds me of a story, and I'm going to bring this up real quick, I'll yeah, try absolutely. to make it fast. I went on CMT sometime in the 90s, and I was getting interviewed about Garth. And the interviewer said, Garth went to college in marketing. Do you think that's his success is due to that marketing education? And I said, you know, go to a Garth show. Boop! If that's marketing. <laughs> and I said, you know, uh, it wasn't happy birthday, but it was two words. Yeah. And the first one started with F, and the second one started with Y. Right. If you think that's marketing, right? And I forgot all about it, you know, did my interview, left. Three, four months later, I'm at home, I'm channel surfing. There I am on CMT. And, uh, and I'd forgotten about the interview because, you know, we're busy and things are going on. You'll forget about this interview the moment you walk out of here, which and is about, great. <laughs> That's how busy this you are. This one I'll remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's 30, 45, 60 seconds in, and I hear myself go, if that's marketing. And I went, oh. And Martina goes, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got a call from a couple of buddies of mine that worked at CMT. They told me I was the first person to say that word <laughs> on CMT. And I'm always, I'm, that may be on my tombstone. Actually, I think I'll do ready, fire, aim. That's my life, you know. Well, first we, we first like F-bomb on CMT. We like to say John you always McBride. remember your first, right? <laughs> yeah, like say that. there it is. CMT's always going to remember John McBride as the first to use the F-bomb. They're engraved on the side of the show. building, much like the Tebow speech at Florida. <laughs> right. you know? yes, yes. Johnny uh, Cash, uh, you opened in 2002. He died uh, in September 2003, but he was here in, in that yes. time. Well, can you, what do you remember about that? Oh, certain people command a presence, you know. And Johnny was one of those. You felt it. If you had never heard of him, never mm -hmm. seen him, you'd go, I'm keeping an eye on this guy because good things are happening or something's going to happen. You know, there are certain people that just have this incredible presence, you know? It's, it's interesting in music. Um, there's a lot of people that don't that still have success, you know? You don't need it to be successful, but iconic type artists are iconic for a reason, and we can't exactly slice and dice it and figure out what that reason is. It's just something you feel. Neil Young's another guy I wanted to ask you about, because oh, Neil him. Young hates the way recordings sound. Right, he had his right. whole thing. One day, so I wonder like, what it's like when he comes to a studio 
knowing that uh, a lot of audio that he hears, he's miserable <laughs> about. He loves our place. Thank God. We have a lot of analog gear. But one afternoon, I'm in here, and the phone rings, and it's a buddy of mine, Nico. He goes, hey, Neil's in town, and he brought this Cadillac. He's got this Cadillac that must weigh 20,000 pounds. I don't know. It's big. <laughs> and he's got this system in there that he wants to play, and let's go drive around with him. So Neil's driving this car. I'm in the back seat, Nico's in the front seat, and it sounds amazing. The stereo was incredible, and it really was. But Neil's, you know, doinking around with it. We're swerving all over the road. We're driving around <laughs> Berry Hill. I'm just waiting for us to hit the friggin' police station or something, you know. Thank God nothing bad happened, though. But no, it was a real, that was a great day that day. I'll never forget it. So uh, we've mentioned the microphones behind us are oh, yeah. uh, worth thousands and thousands of dollars. Yep. Um, you, you collect many things. You collect Beetle memorabilia. I didn't realize I was a collector, but I am. What What's but, your favorite piece of Beatles oh. memorabilia? Can you say? Yeah. Yeah, I'll get myself in trouble right now. I have a master tape from Meet the Beatles, and I believe it was from the Scranton, Pennsylvania pressing plant that they used to press the records with all the engineer notes and mm -hmm. when this happened. And of course, I can't find it so I hope EMI doesn't call me because <laughs> rightfully it will be theirs, even though I paid a fortune for it. But it's just that kind of stuff that really trips my trigger. And I say I'm a collector, but I'm not a collector. I'm a, I, I'm a hoarder more than a collector. I don't need, if I buy a 59 Les Paul, which is a crazy expensive guitar, I don't care if it's perfect. I don't care if it's all original. Mm -hmm. I care what it sounds like. And that's what matters here. If you put that Beatles uh, master on the market, how, what kind of reaction would there be to its availability? Man, I've never thought about it because I'd never do it, you know? Think of the wings you could add on to the Blackbird Academy <laughs> if you sold that <laughs> immediately. There's no financing. You could just take that uh, money and then add on to this It'd be building. a skyscraper. It'd be amazing. Well, you know, the Beatles had what was called a rare record, even though it's one of the most common rare records, a butcher cover, where they wore these frocks and they had like baby dolls with no heads. And it was like a punk cover in 1966, way before punk. And that cover was immediately banned. And instead of destroying them all, they pasted over a lot of them. And those are called butcher covers. And at one point I had 300 and 40 of them or something. I'm down to about 158 or 159 now. But there are three different versions of that. There's the first state, one that was never altered and made it out of the pressing plant. A second state, which is a pasteover. And a third state, which someone has bought a second state and found a way to peel that top layer off. And then you see the old picture. Yeah, that's it's, hoarding. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. Are, you, it is. are you down to 158 or 159 because you gave them away? You sold I them? I gave away, yeah, them. I gave away Merry quite Christmas, a Jack. few. Yeah. yeah, and I um, I sold some. Yeah. I had, at one point, 25,000 vinyl Beatle records at home, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, they live in a little cottage. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up selling half of them to a Japanese record chain 
So if you go to Japan and buy a Beatle record, chances are it came it from our yeah, Perfect time to the Olympics. Maybe. Good thing there are no fans at the Olympics, otherwise those things would be flying off the shelf. Oh, man. John McBride uh, owns Blackbird Studios and the BlackbirdAcademy.com, uh, where we have been doing this show uh, since March the 15th here in Studio G. Um, rapid fire here a bit. Okay. Best, what's the, as the husband of a country music superstar in Martina, What's the best after party among all the award shows? Now, you're going and you know everybody and you, you see where I'm going with right. this. What's the award show where people don't have to really, you don't have to pull their arm or twist their arm to get them to, other than the CMA awards or something? Right. After any award show, generally the best parties are ones that are at somebody's house. Who throws the best one? Ronnie Dunn, probably. Yeah. Right. I believe that. Yeah. That guy's crazy. He's so he's known for he the after party. too much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Martina. We've had a number of after parties at our house that it's 4 a.m. and I'm going, can I please go to bed? Oh, my God. You know, but no. But every, when, it, when there's a celebration, everybody usually will partake. And, you know, and the community, you know, there, there's a... The artists, especially in country music, are more closely connected than maybe in other genres. What? How much do you enjoy? So, it, for instance, um, Martina was with Alabama at Bridgestone. I yeah. saw you running the board. Yeah. At the. It, well, you should have come over and hit me in the. Well, head it was a photo. I, was, oh, okay. I saw you running okay. the board though through yeah. the social media account for for Blackbird. Yes. How much do you enjoy that versus in studio production? Man, that's a hard. How one. do you balance it? Well, in your I'm, mind, I'm saying, like, which, which yeah, do you prefer? I love both so much. I mean, I will never retire. I love what I get to do. And I love traveling on the road. You get to find all the good food, you know? Yeah. You go to, if we can't go to Atlanta without me hitting the... Uh, varsity. Yeah, the varsity chili cheese dogs, you know? It used to be L.A., the most important part of it was in and out Burger. Because um, they didn't oh, have them anywhere else at the time. But now they're all the way to Texas, and I'm, I'm glad. Why don't you get one in Nashville? Man, <laughs> I've tried. Get one here. I actually tried, and there's something about not wanting to you actually ship did the meat that far. <laughs> no. Yeah. Man, in Wichita, where I grew up, there's a place called Dog and Shake, and I called that owner and said, you got over one in Nashville, and they haven't yet. But You had a specific oh, location right around the corner. Man, I'm telling you. I'll kick half. Yeah, we'll, we'll shut down the school and open, open up a great cheeseburger place. Did you offer no, the, the 25,000 Beatles <laughs> No, I did not. <laughs> I've, got some, I've got some albums I can do and when, trade. When I, when I got to meet Paul McCartney, the guy that introduced us is a guy named Barry Marshall who promotes most of Paul's shows. And he had promoted some bar shows over in, in England. And so I'd gotten to know Barry, and we were backstage at the, at the Grammys, and, and Barry goes, you want to meet Paul? And I went... Uh, you know, I had mixed feelings because if he was like diss me, I'd want to kill myself. You know, yeah. you wanted to protect the image you had of Paul McCartney. Yes, at all costs. Yes, and so, but I said yes, and <laughs> here he came, and Barry goes, "Hey, Paul, this John, he uh, he's got like twenty-five thousand vinyl Beatle records." And Paul goes, "Oh, I wondered where they all went." You know? <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, thank you, God. He's a cool <laughs> guy." You know, I'd always heard he was a great guy, but he is. What That's so awesome. you mentioned presence with uh, with Johnny Cash? Yes, 
I'm curious, uh, because you were such good friends with so many people that a lot of people watching, listening would say, oh, I'm sure they have a really big presence about them, but you know them so well, so maybe there's some right. distance from it. Right. Was there someone else that maybe surprised you with their presence? Like, I'm assuming that Ed Sheeran doesn't possess the same presence as Johnny Cash when you're physically in a room with Ed Sheeran, but right. maybe I'm completely surprised by the fact that he does have a presence and a charisma about him. Or maybe someone that surprised you a bit with their presence. Well, you know, Chris Christopherson, Waylon was the same way, too. I don't know how these guys all got together in one band, but it was <laughs> amazing, you know. Um, oh, that's a tough question, but, you, you, it, it, yeah, when it happened, you know what? From now on, I'm texting you every time yeah. I get impressed like that. Yeah. Because it doesn't happen often, you know, once every few years, maybe. Well, I wonder how much of it's an age thing. You know, like you're going to yeah. be naturally more impressed with someone yeah. your age or older a lot of times, yeah. especially when it's a musical and hero of yours. Left, man. Yeah. So I hear Chris Christopherson, <laughs> I think, well, yeah, he's going to have presence about him yeah. when I hear that name. But well, if I think of someone younger than me, I don't necessarily think of them having a big presence. Anybody who could write Sunday morning coming down, forget it. You're already my hero. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really songwriters have a... There's a thing. Tom Douglas, another great songwriter. This guy writes songs that will make you cry. And that, to me, is the most important time we go in the studio or on the road. The most important thing is always the song. And that's what matters. Did Billy Corgan and Smashing Pumpkins do their latest yes, thing here? Yeah, he they seems did. to be He's kind of the quintessential guy. eccentric yes. uh, guy. And I wonder he is how used to... How used to eccentric people do you get in your kind of? He's job? a big sports guy too. I know, big I pro, know. pro wrestling guy, big yeah. Chicago Cubs fan. I think oh, he's huge sports fan with uh, wrestling, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny. There are, there are. I mean, at the end of the day, people are people. You know, my dad used to say he puts his pants on one leg at a time or whatever. I was always hoping on happy days that Fonzie would have a pair of jeans like pinned up somehow and he put Jump both. In. Yeah, you know, but it never <laughs> happened. Oh, well. Um, people are people. And I don't care if you're Paul McCartney or, you know, a brand new artist anywhere. You're, you're, you have your own set of criteria. Wayne know? in the YouTube chat says, uh, can you do this every day on the show? <laughs> you may be a little bit too busy for that, but he's, he is asking if you can join us more often. Tell him I'm a pretty good kisser. Just, no. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, we, I'm kidding. Yeah. Can we get to, like, I don't know how much you want to say about this. What do you think about the artists, or, or literally anybody now? We can set this up at our home. We right. don't want to. Right. We could set this camera up at our yes. home and do a show. Yes. Um, and you can make records at home, no doubt. What When you hear that sound versus what you produce, is, is it? Well, it's apples and oranges because... We have rooms that were designed to sound great, and about half the time they do, and the other half you just start over. But, you know, the quality of the equipment we use, microphones, compressors, or mic pre's, or different things that are part of the recording process, we've really been able to hone our skills with gear and figure out what works the best. And that's part of the reason come here. Also, Nashville may be the last bastion 
Well, that, this still happens in L.A. or New York and New York, but not nearly enough, where everybody shows up at the same time to make a record. Records sound better when it's a group of people playing together, you know? They play off each other. And that is part of the magic, you know? Instead of sending... Yeah, instead of, I'm going to lay down the drums days. today at home, then I'm going to add the bass, and I'm going to add a guitar part, then we're adding keys, and it's all just perfect mm -hmm. and sterile as hell, you know? You know what surprised me the most? Like, the, just uh, perception for me is artists record at night. I don't know why. Yeah. I, I, that's not the case here. No, it this turns into This place is packed at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy. 10 to 6 is kind of our I mean, busiest day. And you'll let them record whenever, but... Oh, yeah. Some bands come in, though, like Beck. Whenever he's within a few hundred miles of Nashville, they'll book a day, and they'll come in at 10 o'clock at night and stay till 10 o'clock the next night. I mean, they'll wow. never leave, you know. So we have people here all night if we have to. No problem. You know, it's... We're a service business, you know, we got to take care of people, you know, it's important. What do you think of the new breaking band, Dad's Acid, featuring Jacob Swanson? <laughs> our uh, Man, I've heard our about great that. producer, yeah. 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 Dad's Acid. I want to hear band. it now. No, I want to hear it, man. <laughs> We're actually going to be opening for Ghost uh, in their Scandinavian tour coming up, which you're going to help facilitate. Man. Hey, so um, everything in here is pristine and state-of-the-art, and I, I know you'll take this as a... a, a, a me poking fun a little bit, but also like as a joke. Uh, everything's pristine except for your office. Oh right? my God! It it looks like a tornado hit it. That's you and where Alan, that, that hoarder mentality takes yeah. over. I've got stuff in there that I mean I could probably live for a week. There's enough food <laughs> probably laying around. I don't know. It you know what? And I need to fix that. And I think about no. It all I, the I time. think I think it's God. perfect. Um, and we were trying to figure out. What can we what can we get John and, and and Martina and Alan who have been so great to us Misha uh, for the last six months uh, and and quite frankly gave us an extra week on top of it let's just put that out there too uh, John McBride is salt of the earth very flexible uh, yes. what do you get the guy who has everything inside the studio and just to commemorate the six months of where we hope we're headed and the fact that we're never going to forget Blackbird. Um, we we got something first. for the office. Now, you can cover this up if you'd like with all the other paper and crap or in your office. Or put it on or put it on the wall something. Wow. or Alan can take it home to the kids. It's up to him, you know what I mean? But thank you for everything. Show it to the camera if you will. That is beautiful. We've got the Outkick and and Blackbird logo on the guitar. Again, like um, we could get you a bottle of wine, but you walk in and uh, you know nope. you've got you've got four or five at dinner, so it's hard to get you <laughs> yeah. a bottle of wine. This is going on the wall in my office, <laughs> and it, I will think about you guys every day. Awesome. Well, Alan, we always have you on. We're listening uh, to you yeah. anyway, you know, on the cast, and it's it's great. Oh, this is too kind. You did not need to do this. Well, man, well, you've done more than we could ever expect or yeah. ask from anyone. So, well, thank you so much. Hope it looks thank good you. wherever you put it. You know, so what? I, I told you we're going to leave the room as we found it. Uh, these <laughs> these guys are going to make sure of that. Um, but how quickly are the are the new tenants coming? Tenants coming. I don't. Out? You know what? I'll have to check and see. We told them, I think the seventh or 
I think the seventh. Which Get ready, Reed. I really, <laughs> I really hope that they're scheduled to come in at noon tomorrow, and we actually have to be kicked off the show. And we're having cameras follow us out uh, as we're moving everything out of the studio. You know, the you know what? That's my hope. I'll call Buddy and get back to you, man. Okay. You know, the, the last studio we were in, um, when we turned in our key cards, it was not a very popular time. Oh, uh, I was really was, pleasant about that. It was quite the moment. This is, what did uh, I say? This is much more much You more made cordial. this happen. <laughs> <laughs> I gave my key card and I said, you made this happen. And I turned my back and walked out. Oh, man. No, my plan is at some point <laughs> to get you guys back here. You know? We yeah. get a bigger room available. We can do more. It'll be fun. It would. And, and come see us. Where, you know, absolutely. You know, where uh, I will. Will. We'll have a cocktail. We haven't we'll announced where we're going. We're that. doing that ah, coming up. So Good, good. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for being here. And You're the man. Being the type of people that I just want to hang out with, and that's rare. Keep Same listening. here. Well, that's maybe the greatest compliment we've ever received from you because no. you've got stories for days, and we'd love oh. to hang out with you at any point and hear those stories. Yeah. So uh, thank you. I'm a lucky guy. I've gotten to live some life. You know? And tell Martina we said thank you. I will. I will. And tell She's Martina tour, that, right? uh, that my wife yes. has cooked, I think, at least four different things out of her cookbook oh, yeah. that she gave us that day. We have the great cookbook gift. on display. Uh, on the kitchen island, and we've made multiple things out of that cookbook. And it's and good. Man. And those cookies that she made us—that was a highlight to be able to I'm, say. I'm that not she getting made paid to endorse that. I'm just telling you, you should buy the Martina McBride cookbook <laughs> collection, the it, entire catalog. It's terrific. It's shocking. I don't weigh 450 pounds. <laughs> no, it really is. It is. John, thank you. Well, thank you thank guys. You got Appreciate it. Appreciate it so much, Paul. Thank you. John Thanks, McBride yes. and Blackbird Studios, theblackbirdacademy.com for more information on the great work they're doing. If you want to go to school and learn the hands-on experience for studio engineering, on-the-road production, they, they do it all, theblackbirdacademy.com. Back with Outkick 360 after this. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.